time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to the Cold War, my tiny little midget friend. Ah, uh, thank you. Uh, unnecessarily hurtful, but it makes you happy, so it's good with me. Uh, look, your facts hurt. <laughs> you can't blame me for that. Facts are just facts. Um, there's this thing you called know. tact. Um, like... Fact and fact. Tact. And tact. Yeah, like, I'm, like, I'm all about the fact, not about I'll the tact. I'll give you an example. Um, yeah. we were, all fact, no tact. Yes, that's, that's Cam. Cam is all fact, it's my no new tact. Motto. Yeah, coffee mug. No, when we were yeah. uh, in, uh, in mm. the uh, mm. Grand Canyon, you told me, and bragging in front of everybody, that Heather was hitting on you. You could have just not, not said anything. Uh, but no, you had to flop it out. And I mean that figuratively and probably earlier, literally. Anyway, the point is you don't always have to say everything you're thinking. That's all I'm saying. That's all. I apologize. I'll work on that. I'll add it to my list of character flaws to work on. How long is that list? Um, No, don't answer that. Don't answer that. It's a big list. It's a very long list. Where were we? Sorry. In our last episode on NATO. NATO. We talked about the uh, rise and fall of the League of Nations, Mm. and we talked about the Marshall Plan and how governments of Europe were were threatened, um, that if they didn't uh, get rid of their socialist or communist groups, or if the people in the country elected socialist or communist governments, they wouldn't get any US money. So if you want to be in our gang, you need to commit it's like joining a cult. If you want to, if you want to join our cult, you need to, you know, renounce and denounce all your all your other gods, all the other gods. The, the, the U.S. is a monotheistic uh, cult. Yeah. Joint team yeah, dollar the bill. The U.S. is God. Yes. Mm. yes. But 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 you make a good point because the Europeans were like, okay. Marshall Plan, thank you very much. We're going we're gonna to use that to rebuild our economy. And you and I, and we can do this again, but you and I have gone over, overall, let's, let's be honest, the kind of small impact of the Marshall Plan, literally, but as a gesture, it meant so much more to the Europeans. But you're absolutely right. The Europeans are like, thanks for the money. However, us fixing up and sprucing up the place doesn't necessarily mean that no one's going to want to vote communism or there are people in various countries are going to want to try socialism or communism. So it's not enough. And one of the things that the Europeans really feared, and I think you said this at the beginning of the first show, was no one was really worried uh, about millions of Soviet troops coming out of Eastern Europe and just running all over Western Europe. That was not the fear. The fear in Europe was that the perceived threat of military of Soviet military power was enough when bat, when combined with political threats, political political suggestions about hey maybe you should you know maybe you should come into our sphere or whatever. But the point is the Europeans were worried that their countries one by one may cave into Soviet political pressure 
backed by the threat of war, but not actual war itself. So the Europeans are like, you know what? We need our own version of a perceived military threat to counter their military threat. And we cannot do that without the Americans. And the Americans are like, we just gave you, what, $13 billion? $13 billion. We're not really keen on that, but clearly something has to happen. So there's going to be a lot of negotiations. But again, it was all about perception and gestures. And Europeans are going to want more than just money. And, you know, they didn't really have a choice, these European countries. I mean, uh, the U.S. Sure. was the only bank in town that was still open. Yes. Um, yes. Europe was Literally. destroyed. Um, China and, was destroyed in the Civil War. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Every, yeah, everything was destroyed. No, mm-hmm. And so the Americans were the only place they could get this money from. Yes. And uh, it, came with, it came with conditions. Basically it always what we're does. Saying. Yeah. The more, the more so, money, the more conditions. As we said yeah. last time, so uh, the, the pro-U.S. forces in Europe uh, took the U.S. money, used the U.S. Mm-hmm. money to destroy the anti-U.S. forces in yes, their own countries. Right. But then were worried that those U.S. forces, might, anti-U.S. forces might come back, get supported, mm-hmm. might attack them. So they said to the U.S., you have to step up and protect us now. We took the money. We yes, did what yes. you told us to do. Now we need protection from the other mob exactly. families. Here's what Kaplan writes, Lawrence Kaplan, uh, historian, Department of Defence, founder of the NATO Centre, etc., writes, The Europeans made it clear that a binding US military commitment was indispensable if the aims of the Marshall Plan were to be fulfilled. As long as Western Europe lacked a sense of security, Economic aid would not suffice to build their confidence. In the post-war world, their military resources could not withstand a Soviet invasion. They believed that U.S. power was the only deterrent that would inhibit Soviet aggression. And this required a much deeper change in the involvement of the United States with Europe than either the Truman Mm. Doctrine or the Marshall Plan. But it seems... It seems like the U.S. planners saw the Marshall Plan as a tool of war in the first place because Kaplan also writes, the Marshall Plan, according to its framers, under Secretaries of State William L. Clayton and Dean G. Acheson, was to be an extension of the purposes of the Truman Doctrine. Mm. Hmm. Truman Doctrine basically says what, Ray? Uh, The Truman Doctrine. Oh, if uh, anybody is being threatened... But I, what, did it literally say communists or Soviets? I can't remember. Uh, they can come to aid. And also if there are armed, uh, violent minorities within a country trying to take over from the majority, they can also seek support from us. Something Basically like said, we reserve the right to protect our interests wherever they're threatened. Oh, oh well, world. that's just a, a more Trey Gauche way of saying what I said. We, again, we, 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 we frame it, and we are here to help you. If you're being threatened by the dastardly com- communists, we are here for you. Does it benefit us? Don't even worry about that. That's not even a question I'm thinking right now. The answer is yes. Uh, don't worry about that. We are here for you if you need us. Yeah. But as Kaplan is saying, the Marshall Plan was an extension mm-hmm. of that, right? Right. It basically it was a way of... Um, supporting America's interests in mm-hmm. Europe, in the markets of Europe, with cash, right. which was all part of the 
Truman Doctrine, right? It was all about we need to protect our interests. We need to protect our markets, basically. Right. Clayton, I keep reading from Kaplan. Clayton, head of the world's largest cotton brokerage and an ardent internationalist, was Mm. Undersecretary for Economic Affairs. Acheson, a prominent Washington lawyer, had been an Assistant Secretary of State in World War II. Charles Bolin, a veteran diplomat with expertise in Soviet affairs, like Kennan, deserves some of the credit. He drafted the essence of the final version. If the United States were to provide effective support of the military efforts of embattled nations as it had rallied to the defence of Greece and Turkey... It was necessary that the economic base of the beneficiaries be strong enough to take advantage of the military assistance. Uh. In this context, the Marshall Plan represented a significant underpinning of the Truman Doctrine. Indeed, embedded in the Truman Doctrine was the recognition that the seeds of totalitarian regimes are nurtured in misery and want, and that our help should be primarily through economic and financial aid, which is essential to economic stability and orderly political processes. In essence, if the chaos of Greek and Tur- Greece and Turkey was not to be replicated in France or in Italy, where large communist parties were flourishing, the United States must help Europeans create economic conditions that would permit them to cope with the promises of communism. In the President's mind, the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan were two halves of the same walnut, Right. The United States recognised that its own welfare rested on the revival of Europe. Let, let me ask a question. So let me see if I can zoom out and stitch this together. We've got the Truman Doctrine that says, hey, Turkey, Greece, and, and anybody else, if you're having trouble with communists, we'll either give you money or we'll, I, I'm not sure about this point, you can correct me, and we maybe give you weapons directly, uh, or you, we'll give you money and you buy the weapons from us so you can go fight. Then you've got the Marshall Plan, here's $13 billion for Europe to generally jumpstart your economy. That's all great, that's all good, but it's sounding like even those two together are not quite enough to make the Europeans feel really comfortable having the USSR right the fuck there. It sounds like something more is needed. And and along the the lines of uh, maybe not so much military power, but the perceived threat of a combined military power of all these nations, including the United States. So it sounds like Europe is like, yeah, yeah, not bad. We need something more, something like the idea of boots on the ground. That that's kind of what I'm getting from this. What about you? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's fairly simple in my head. It's like, okay, we will yeah. take your money and right. cry and tr- and try and use that money among other things to build our economy, so you can sell us stuff. And right. B, uh, in order to protect your investment in our country, we'll try and crush the uh, socialist movements for you. But right. We're not confident that we can do that long term without your support. So if you want us to stay in the U.S. economic block, Ah. you need to come and help us uh, protect ourselves from internal and external uh, threats to uh, your way of doing business. For at least a couple of years. Give us something. Let us get back on our feet. Something. Truman Secretary of State Dean Acheson said, these measures of relief and reconstruction have been only in part suggested by humanitarianism. Your Congress is authorised and your government is carrying out a policy of relief 
and reconstruction today, chiefly as a matter of national self-interest. Yeah, we were looking out for ourselves. It's not charity. It's Mm. buying and protecting markets that we will profit from long term. It's a long term. We're building an economic block that we're going to keep for a century at least. Or you could just use the word charity. A lot shorter, a lot easier to get out. Fits on a bumper sticker. You're welcome. Now, some people in the U.S. were awake up to what was going on here and were warning Mm -hmm. Americans about it. Kaplan writes, critics from the left, however, such as Henry Wallace, former vice president under Roosevelt and secretary of commerce under Truman, applauded U.S. support for the principles of self-help, mutual aid, and yet identified the corrupting influence of the Truman Doctrine on the Marshall Plan. Wow. Given the primary functions of the Truman Doctrine, the European Recovery Program, ERP, which is the technical name, the official name of the Marshall Plan, in practice would result in the militarization of the social, economic, and political affairs of the recipients. As Wallace claimed, we will help you if you have our kind of government and subordinate your economy to ours. I like, like Wallace. Yeah, yeah, me too. He basically yeah. nailed it right there. We will help exactly. you if you do exactly as we say and you uh, copy our model of doing things. You know, it just, it just reminded me of something you were saying a minute ago, and you're absolutely right, that you still struggle to find books, history books, especially American history books, that give you the real deal on the, on the Marshall Plan. I wonder if biographies, because I haven't read any, but I wonder if biographies on Henry Wallace uh, makes that point as well, or do they kind of skirt around that? Because he had a lot of negative things to say. He actually gets fired by Truman as the Secretary of Commerce um, for, for the stuff he says, because they basically clashed. But if I could just real quick, I just want to gush on this guy for a second. When he was, um, he was vice president from 1941 to 1945 under um, Roosevelt, like you said. But when he served as the head of the agricultural department from 33 to 41, he had earned a, an intense reputation as an advocate on behalf of American Africans and of federal intervention on behalf of the poor. I mean, he and FDR are like, right, they're like, no, no, we got to help these people. We're rich, they're poor, or something bad's happened. We've got to help these people. There's nothing wrong with helping these people. And of course, all the Republicans are going to get go against that. But he is going to butt heads time and time again with the Democratic Party because he is further to the left than they are. He's not a communist or whatever. He's just someone who cares, but he gets labeled a certain way. Yeah, he was um, an interesting character who was, uh, I mean, I have read a few biographies on him. Mm-hmm. And, they, I mean, they talk about his political views and these sorts of things, but they tend to be dismissive. Well, he'd lost his damn mind. Uh, right. Yes. He, he yes. was obviously crazy. And um, he gets fired like MacArthur does for, you know. Standing up. Arguing uh, yes. with the yeah. Truman administration. Truman's like, listen, we believe in freedom of speech. Uh, uh, Having as long said as you, that. As long as you agree <laughs> with what I'm saying. Right. 
Well, the other thing I didn't know is that Truman started cutting back or backtracking on some of FDR's social welfare legislation. And Henry Wallace just got in Truman's face. You can't do this. This is this is what was needed. This is now the new normal. You can't go back and just expect these, you know, basically be, being a compassionate uh, human being. And that was not the start, but that was certainly another flashpoint between him and Truman. He's like, you can't cut all these things. You're, you're being an ass. You might as well be a Republican. And again, that did not sit well with Truman. <laughs> and Wallace attacked Marshall's plan as basically what it was. He called it an unwarranted subsidy for American exporters, yeah. one certain to polarize the world into antagonistic blocks. Exactly. How do you think the Soviet Union is going to react to this? They're not just going to sit there and go, oh, okay, no. They're going to see that as uh, a passive-aggressive or a preemptive declaration of war. You're going, to, you're going to bind all of Europe against us. How do you think the Soviets are going to react? And that's exactly how I've always seen it as well. It was a subsidy for American ex- exporters. Listen, we're just right. going to create a $16 billion line of credit. Uh, we're going to take yeah. taxpayers' money. And I yep. explained this on the Marshall Plan uh, episodes. Basically, what happened is the U.S. government took $16 billion of taxpayers' money and handed it to American businesses right. uh, in yeah. form of credit for them to then send stuff to European countries who got on board and did what they were told and, uh, you know, yeah. bent over and uh, lubed yeah. up. You know, or didn't leave up either way. Or yeah, it it depends on how you like it. Um, And if today's um, Congress is anything to go by, when they when they were passing the Marshall Plan and they were doing all that stuff, all of the Congress people who were in the know, or is it on this side? I don't know. In the know, were buying up stocks in certain companies because they know they were about to go through the roof. Um, You see it all the time, and so I'm sure a lot of money was made by people who helped either pass this legislation or help write it or both. So again, it's all about greed. It's all about money. It's all about getting what you can, taking advantage of other people in their hour of need. Well, and, and you know, it's worked then as it works now. I'm sure, you know, Senator yeah. Billy Bloggs says to his constituents, that they're like the big businesses in his state, hey, right. I got this fucking thing passed, man. All that money, that yeah. yacht. That you've got yeah. that that you know fucking me. Mercedes. It's because yeah. of me. I so got that passed. Pony yeah. up to my next election campaign. Right, Marsh. Uh, sorry, no, Marshall uh, Wallace said mm-hmm. the Marshall Plan was a blueprint for international conflict. Ooh. He said the original concept of European recovery after World War Two had been poisoned by Truman's yeah. anti-communism, and instead he was urging for $50 billion to be put aside as a lend-lease program for peace in Europe, Yeah, modelled on World War II aid to the Soviet Union. Yeah. What do you need here? And, yeah. you know, people often say to me when I, when I criticise the Marshall Plan, um, you know, people often say, well, what should we have done? Nothing? What, America shouldn't have helped out in Europe? What are you saying? Okay, well, no, you could still help out, but you could yeah. have done it in a, in a more transparent and neutral way. And this was Wallace's idea as well, that yeah. the money should be channeled through the UN. 
The U.S. shouldn't ah, have any say in how it's spent. Right. The money, the line of credit could be given to the U.N. and say, you administer this. The U.N. even had a vehicle for doing that. They had set up a thing called the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, the UNRRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was created in 1943. Its mission was to provide economic assistance to European nations after World War II and to repatriate and assist the refugees who would come under Allied control. Right. Um, so it could so have they, happened. They had yeah. a facility for it. The US could have just given the money to the UN and the UN could have dealt with it and it didn't have to be tied to, you know, well, you have to buy this stuff from America and you have to agree to our terms and conditions. And you, It could have been done, could have been handed out, could have been dealt like real yes. aid, real charity, yeah. not... Objectively given. Yes, yeah. not Here, with a quid pro party. quo on top exactly. of it. Well, if I could real quick, I know we've touched on this, but when um, FDR dies and Truman takes over, Truman, not exactly a ton of experience. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. And and a lot of things, even like he didn't know about the atomic bomb until after FDR dies. So here's FDR going, Stalin is far from perfect, but we've got to find a way to work together because if we don't, fucking World War III, and it's going to be even worse. But FDR dies. So Truman comes in and Truman is not really sure, like, what do I do? Do I keep doing FDR's policies because America loved him and, and it, it helped reduce tension uh, with Russia or whatever? What do I do? But between the Republicans bashing him, um, what happens in Eastern Europe and Truman just trying to find his own footing and, and establish himself as a president, he does come across a lot. Uh, he does uh, stand up a lot more to Russia. He's a lot more firm with them. He's actually even antagonistic. And so he's setting this up so and and Henry Wallace is exactly right. So Truman trying to establish himself decides to be anti-communist. He decides to go all the freaking way. There's a lot of tension with Soviet Russia now. So now we've got to do something. But but Wallace is right. He's like you're making this harder than it has to be with your attitude. Let's not do it this way. Truman fires him, gets him out of the uh, gets him out of the uh, uh, administration. Yeah. Uh, in an interview with the Yugoslav news agency, Wallace said the Marshall Plan would be deplorable if it divided the world in two parts and if the primary aim is to revive Germany for the purpose of waging a struggle against Russia. Um, he started referring to it as the Marshall, M-A-R-T-I-A-L plan. Right. The war oh, plan. Clever. Clever. Uh, and by late 1947, he was convinced that um, he was right, that his worst fears were being realised. He gave mm-hmm. a speech at Madison Square Garden on September 11th, 1947, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about the influence of big business and the military in American foreign policy. You know, people right. always remember you know, the, uh, that Eisenhower's last speech when he was leaving the White House, he was warning people about the military-industrial complex. Right. Um, well, this is 10 years before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wallace said, Under the Republicans, Wall Street ran America. Under the present administration, Wall Street is all set to run the world. Oh, beautiful. Two months later, he was giving a speech in Louisiana where he reminded the audience of Huey Long's statement that when fascism comes to this country, it will be cloaked in the language of Americanism. And then he said, Huey Long's prophecy is coming true. 
He said the Marshall Plan was the brainchild of the Truman-led, Wall Street-dominated, military-backed group that is blackening the name of American democracy all over the world. It ignored the United Nations, divided the world, and opened the way for American intervention in the domestic politics of countries of Western Europe. He attacked the Marshall Plan as a device for Wall Street monopolists to expand their foreign trade by selling goods that Western Europe would normally buy from Eastern Europe. Mm. So it's not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, helping the U.S. economy. It's damaging the Eastern European economy by taking all of this trade out of their revenues. Yes, which Truman, I'm sure, is fine with because we currently don't have a relationship. I mean, at the time, they didn't have a relationship with Eastern Europe. So he was probably fine with that too. Yeah. So... The, at the time, also, Britain and France had plans to nationalise some of their key industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Truman stopped them from doing that oh, um, and said, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to deal with uh, – you, know, right. you have to trade with us. You have to deal with American companies. And Wallace said that the Marshall Plan increased the opportunity for big business to gain control over key sectors of the Western European economies – while the American people paid all the costs and carried all of the risks. American people are putting up the money to allow American business to take over the European economy. Right. If I could, you said, I think at the beginning, we were joking around or whatever about not accepting facts. Well, here's one fact. Henry Wallace is nailing it on the head. Yeah, in some ways he's actually... um, prognosticating he's actually ahead of his time in a lot of this but with the Marshall Plan um, money's flowing you know exchanging hands stocks are going up people are getting jobs uh, companies are doing well they're bringing on new employees and so he's right this is going to lead to a bad place but at the moment it's doing what it's supposed to do it's stirring the American economy people rarely vote against their pocketbook even if it's for a good idea and one other thing that um, Henry Wallace said was in late 1947, he said, you know what? Uh, Truman is leading us down the wrong path. It's a collision course with uh, Soviet Russia. I think the next president and Stalin should get together, <clears throat> excuse me, should get together, meet and talk this out. And he had a pretty good idea of who the next president should be. Mm. Well, unfortunately, Stalin was dead before there was another president. But, um, yeah, that's, True. that's beside the point. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and when, when uh, uh, Wallace's critics tried to say, well, no, 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 we just want free trade. That's all we want. We just want the ability to free trade. He said, well, why is it that America has embargoes on mm-hmm. other countries? We have import quotas. We have high tariffs on some products. We say we want free trade, but then not when it comes. And they were like, yeah, again. You do what we say, right? not what we do. We get to tell you what to do. You don't get to tell us that we should do what we tell you to do. That's not how this works. Yeah. If I I could, um, you already know Big Tony. His friend over there is one way. That's all he knows is just one way. Just fucking do what we say. We only operate one way, so shut the fuck up. But generally speaking, outside of Wallace, uh, most Americans seem to be on board with the Marshall Plan. I read through a lot of newspapers from 1947 to 1948 on newspapers.com, just trying to get opinion uh, columns, general news, get a sense for how it 
uh, was being portrayed in those years. Oh, yeah. Most just repeat the US government's position. You know, we're doing this to support yeah. uh, our, our friends and allies in Western Europe. Yeah. It's a great act of generosity on behalf of the American people. You should all reach around and give yourselves a bit of a pat on the back and, and just a reach around in general. Look, go out into the street and give your yeah. neighbour a reach around because you're all in this together. You're all doing a We're wonderful heroes. job. We are God heroes. Damn we are American great, heroes. great heroes. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. Some of the newspapers, though, took a more pragmatic position. I found this one in the Austin American, February 15th, 1948. We have learned that we cannot isolate ourselves from economic and social disruption in other parts of the world. We share in its prosperity or ruin. Mm. Our peak level of production is possible only because we have access to goods from every other country. In turn, continued American prosperity depends upon our ability to sell our industrial and agricultural goods outside as well as within the United States. I think what they meant was sell their soul, but he probably meant dishwashers and washing machines and tractors. I, I don't know. So, it, you know, it's enlightened self-interest. We're going to help that. you. Yes, help me. Help me, yeah. Help me help you to help, help me. me. Um, Namaste. Right. But... Yeah. Again, and that sounds fine on the surface. Yeah. But again, it came with a lot of conditions. Like, right. y- you know, we you have to um, suppress elements of your democracy. Right. You know. Yes. And we're going to take a bunch of money from the American people that we could have, here's an idea, just left in their pockets. Or invested in. Well, I mean, or they invested. were investing a lot in American infrastructure. infrastructure, obviously. America had money to fucking burn. Obviously, yeah. uh, at the time. Yeah. Let me know when I can gush, uh, gush on Henry Wallace just a little bit more. I don't want to interrupt your flow. Though. No, go ahead. Okay. So when he runs for president in 1948, he runs on a platform of favoring labor, civil rights, universal health care, and peaceful relations with the Soviet Union. He notably refused to appear in segregated halls and appeared side by side with African-American candidates of the party. So, obviously, he's not going to win. He doesn't even win a single state. Um, he did worse than Strom Thurmond of South Carolina, and that guy's the fucking devil himself. But the, but the point is, so after the election, and, and I, I think we maybe talked about this four years ago, but after the election, you know, Truman is like, hmm, maybe universal health care would be a good thing for our country. Because like you said, we have cash to burn. But so he starts floating the idea around, but then several senators and Congress people from the South go, well, hold on there, sir. It turns out that everybody in America was going to get health care, including African-Americans. And there were enough people going, I will fucking vote against that in a second. Truman had to let it go. So we could have had universal health care since the 19, late 1940s, but we don't because of racism. So again, yeah. I don't know Henry Wallace is just a class act. Yeah, and later on in life, like so, he, he uh, um, after World War Two, he created the Progressive Party that uh, was mm-hmm. pretty progressive. Ran <laughs> against Truman, um, lost Truman. The Progressive Party didn't do well. Right. Um, he ended up leaving politics and became a very successful businessman. Mm-hmm. Later in life, uh, went back to agriculture and ended up establishing a company called Pioneer Hybrid, 
right. formerly the Hybrid Corn Company, established mm. an experimental farm at his estate in New York, focused a lot of effort on the study of chickens, and sure. their chickens at one point, Pioneer Hybrid's chickens, at one point produced three quarters of all commercially sold eggs worldwide. God damn, he's a chicken master. He was the chicken master, yeah. <laughs> He was uh, he That's was a lot Gus. Of eggs. He was Gus yeah. Fring, Chicken Man, <laughs> the original Gus Fring. Um, Aaron Copeland's piece of music, "Fanfare for the Common Man," right? You know that. Anyway, Aaron yeah. Copeland uh, composed that um, in honour of a speech that Henry Wallace gave in 1942. Mm. Nice. Um, anyway, well, would have been very different if he'd become president. Oliver Stone argues that if Wallace had become president in 1945, there might have been no atomic bombings, no Ooh. nuclear arms race and no Cold War. I didn't he think ended up, that. He, he did okay. end up calling, uh, later on he called the Soviet Union evil mm-hmm. and uh, he was very critical of the Soviet Union um, sort of later in life in the late 50s. Right. But um, anyway, enough about Henry Wallace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very interesting character. Um, and despite reservations for people like him, the ERP, the, the Marshall Plan, became law mm-hmm. in late December 1947 16 nations from the East, as well as some from the West, met in Paris in July 1947 and mm-hmm. established the Committee of European Economic Cooperation, the CEEC. Love it. Or just the Keek. No, we just call it the Keek. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> it was set up to figure out how to administer the ERP funds and to facilitate. One of the commands that Marshall had given out that all of the countries in Europe that got the money needed to figure out how to trade. Now, again, up until this point, they'd all been part of different economic blocks with different right. special trading privileges and tariffs and quotas. And they needed to, to not disband, but rewrite all of that because one of the conditions of getting yeah. the money was you needed to open your borders to trade amongst each other. And more importantly, to us. Um, basically, yeah. we, we're building a new US economic block here. We're not going to call it that. We're no. not going to call it an That's empire. bad marketing. Yeah. Don't call it a comeback. But <laughs> this is what yeah. it is. Um, right. It's an empire at arm's length. And, and it was clever, though. It's the US. Not They're not saying, like, okay, you're part of our empire now, you have to do what we say. They're not saying, here's how you're going to work together. What they're saying is, if you want our money, mm-hmm. you have to work out how to work together right? in a way that we will approve of. Yeah, yeah. It's up to you, completely up to you, but just do it properly or you won't get right. any money. Right. Well, what I, what I like, there was this one, um, that gentleman that you were just quoting a minute ago, he said, uh, the United States was trying to create a United States of Europe because it's easier to control, and, and this is in the abstract, it's easier to control one political entity versus 18 of them. So yeah, you all get together, you all drop your restrictions, your barriers, all these things you have uh, between each other when it comes to trade, drop it all, trade with each other, trade with us. And again, you don't have to do any of this, but there's no cash if you don't. So 
it's got to be one of the most successfully uh, executed and yet, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Camouflaged uh, takeovers of, of, of several countries' economies in one fell swoop. It, fucking brilliant. And it was only possible because the rest of the world had been destroyed economically. You know, right. America didn't have any competition for its financing possibilities. Yeah, yeah the Soviet like Union we could provide a bit of money, but they were broke right. and destroyed, and they wanted to get money from the U.S. to help rebuild. You know, they wanted the yeah. Marshall Plan money. Yeah. So America is the only country in the world. When you're the last man standing, you get to dictate the terms, right? You write um, the rules, baby. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it was very clever, right? You know, they knew yes. that Americans probably wouldn't stand for America actively directly invading countries right. and Being you know, a putting dick. a flag in the ground yeah. because of America broke away and had a revolution. And, you know, you've been anti-empire up until this point. Critical of everyone else's empires, critical oh, yes. of everyone else's economic blocks, critical yeah. of the old way of doing things, but eventually American strategists and planners yeah. realized, well, fuck, we need an yes. empire. Uh, if we we're want, gonna sell our honest, shit, yeah, we want we want an empire, we yeah, but we we just can't call it an empire. <laughs> we can't. We need to Barry, be clever about Stan, how we do this. Yeah, get, get Cheryl them in here. Yes. <laughs> Could you get the hey, Barry? You got some coke right, right there. Okay, yeah. Okay, we need a new title. Yeah. I came across this scholar from Norway, Gia Lundestad, who uh, calls it. He's written a couple of books on the topic, but he calls it "Empire by Invitation." Oh, I lo- like vampires. You, a vampire has to be invited into your house. I fucking love that. Exactly. Love that. Yeah. yeah. America was like, listen, you can join our empire if you want. We right. will give you we, money and you will follow our it. orders. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it's up to you. If, you, if yeah. you don't want the money and you'll want your people to starve to death, that's okay. Yeah. You can choose to starve to death. Right. Although, and, as, as everyone right. knows, and we've mentioned this before, by 1948, Europe had been rebuilding quite successfully. Oh, they've been I working mean, hard. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Clever, like some of too. their manufacturing outputs and agricultural outputs yes. in 1948 were higher than they were before World War II. They had already managed to recover quite well, but this was going to speed things up right. uh, dramatically. And, and that's again, attractive. that's attractive. That's attractive. Um, and you know, so you think about okay, you got two political parties. Let's say you got two pro. Uh, well, you got two. Um, competing political parties in a, in a country. Mm-hmm. And the country's been devastated by war and you have uh, political party A that says, listen, you know, we don't need to take American money. We can do this with our own initiative, right? Yeah. We've already oh, made great strides. Yes. And listen, it might take us a little bit longer, but we'll maintain our independence. And, right. you know, we'll maintain our ability to trade with whoever we want and we won't be, Damn right. you know, slaves to the Americans. Party political party B says, mm-hmm. you know what, fuck all that shit. We're just going to take the money. And right. how would you like, uh, you know, brand new football stadium? How would you like, uh, you know, better roads? Yeah. How would you like us to? We, instead of taking ten years, we can do it in two years if we get this exactly. American money. Do you want you want the good shit now or do you want it later? 
Yeah. I think you want it now, right? Every, we, right. All, we all want it now. It's part of yeah. the American culture is I want everything now. I don't want to have to wait for it. And I want Delayed more. gratification, fuck that bullshit. Fuck that's, that. that's commie. Only commies believe in delayed gratification. We right. want everything and we when do we want it? Everything. When do we <laughs> what do we want? Everything. When do we want it? Now, motherfuckers. Right. But you, but and you there's one more element going back to country A for a second. Um they can party trade party A. I I I stand corrected. Thank you. Party A could go. We want to trade with America and with this new European bloc. Yeah. You can trade with us. Your terms won't be quite as good as those who are inside this country club, but I'm sure we could work something out. But hey, your decision, I'm sure you're going to be fine with the results. So again, there's many ways to economically pressure uh, a country. As to whether or not you can call it an empire, Lundestadt says, Mm -hmm. I follow Zbigniew Brzezinski, who has written that. I use the term empire as morally neutral to describe a hierarchical system of political relationships radiating from a centre. Such an empire's morality is defined by how its imperial power is wielded, with what degree of consent on the part of those within its scope, and to what ends. This is where the distinctions between the American and the Soviet imperial systems are the sharpest. I love that. Hmm. I love that. I'm just being neutral. Yeah. Zbigniew Brzezinski Sorry. was happy to call it an empire. Yeah. Yes, America well, has an empire. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a fucking duck. It's like, oh, all the power comes from this one spot, and you have to do what they say or you'll be punished in some way. That's an empire. That's an empire, yeah. It's not the same as other empires. doesn't operate the it's same. It's still But empire. it's still an empire, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a prettier empire. I don't. Maybe when they whip you, you only get four lashes instead of twelve. I don't know, but it's still an empire. Now the Soviets, of course, weren't part of the CEEC. Um, you know, as I said earlier, one of the conditions of accepting American money was you got rid of all the socialists in your country, which was going to be slightly challenging for the we Soviets. We have to shoot everybody. We have to yeah. shoot everybody in the whole country now. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and the Soviets just saw it as the U.S.'s way of forcing countries to follow the American system. Mm-hmm. The uh, Soviets refused to be part of that for obvious reasons. And the Americans knew that they would reject it. So, you know, right. it was another brilliant marketing employee going, hey, you were invited, you turned it down, it's on you. Or another way of saying that is... Mr. I don't want no trouble, huh? I just came downtown here to get some hard rock candy for my kids, some gingham for my wife. I don't even know what gingham is, but she goes, <laughs> she goes through about 10 rolls a week of that stuff. I ain't looking for no trouble, mister. You all saw him. He had a gun. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Pick up the gun. Yeah. All right. I think we can leave it there unless you've got any final thoughts. Um, can I just, and I hate to do this to you, and I meant to do it earlier, but Henry Wallace, what his, out of all of his sayings, this was my favorite. He's talking before Congress. He's, he's, you know, he's whatever, testifying, whatever. He says, if we are to compete with communism, we had better get on the side of the people. I'm like, 
fucking A. You don't have to worry about all this shit if you quit fighting your own people and you give them what they want or you give them what they need to whatever degree. And so again, he's just a, a compassionate, brilliant person and uh, we just need more people like him. I just loved that sentiment. Yeah. He was uh, he was the real deal. Like a, yeah. he was a, a progressive thinker, and I mean, he reminds me of Bernie Sanders. Like he was the original exactly. Bernie Sanders. Exactly. He yes. was uh, not afraid to speak his mind. Not afraid to uh, go against uh, you know the, the, the general yeah. tenor of the uh, times. As you like to say, he spoke truth to power. Yeah, yeah, and he tried to be power. And like Bernie Sanders, there was no way. He right. was uh, getting elected getting to uh, out. Yeah, yeah, the White House. Anywho, that is a little bit more background on the Marshall Plan. And uh, I guess in the next episodes, we'll get into how NATO was pulled together to protect America's investment in Europe. Descended across the continent.